0: I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Hey, well, welcome back for another episode, folks. It is uh, feeling a little bit like winter. Here in South Dakota, the upper Midwest, we've had our first snowfall on the eastern side of the state. You know, out west, they beat us to the punch by at least a couple of weeks. I know they got a couple of feet of snow up in the hills. Um, Well, it was back in October even, but I know my kids are enjoying the first snowfall. It is, it's just one of the nice things about living in a place where you get all these seasons. It's it's, it's really beautiful to kind of experience nature in that way. So we're we're kind of... um, well out of our Respect Life Month series, and we're kind of jumping back into a mix of different things. Today, we're going to talk about religious freedom. Specifically, we're going to talk about Solemnity of Christ the King, which is coming up here on November 21st, Sunday, November 21st. Really, really beautiful feast day that, I don't know, I guess as a kid, I never really learned that much about it or or thought much about it, but in my, my work in the last few years, have really been just growing to love this feast, to talk about... The feast I've got joining me uh, today, a previous guest on this podcast, Dr. Aaron Weldon, joining us from the uh, Religious Freedom Committee at the USCCB. Aaron, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having
1: me. It's good to good to talk to you again. Yeah. and a little jealous of your weather right now. Maybe I won't be jealous in like February, but yeah, that's <laughs> but right. right now when it's warm, it's still warm here, or it's been warm here. So I'm thinking about playing, kids playing in the snow. Sounds like fun.
0: <laughs> no, it's, you know, the snow is great. and But even just like Thanksgiving time, I it's nice to have like a nice crisp in the air for the backyard football. So I'm sure there are snow here in Sioux Falls is going to be gone, but it's still, it's going to feel like fall, which is which yeah, is great. Yeah. So, so Aaron, tell us, you know, it's been a couple of years since we recorded a show. I actually... The last time I was out in DC for the annual meeting, of the state Catholic conference directors, and you were kind enough to let me borrow your equipment. I sat sat down across the uh-huh. desk from you and your desk there uh, at the USCCB headquarters. Um, so it's been a while. Just tell us maybe for, we've picked up, I think, a lot of lo- new listeners in that time. Just give us a sense of, uh, you know, who you are, what you do, I don't know, your family life and uh, what you do with the USCCB.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, um In terms of family life, I'm, you know, I have, we actually just are welcomed our, not just, but about just three months ago, welcomed our fourth child into the world. Congratulations. So so that's exciting where I'm actually, yesterday was my, or Wednesday was my last day of paternity leave. Mm. Um, So, so yeah, we've we've got three boys and now a little baby girl. Um, and we and live um, kind of in the suburbs of DC in Prince George's County, Maryland. Uh, I've I've been here at the bishops conference I think for eleven or twelve years, um, starting off as a actually a CCHD intern, um, and I've been in this role as religious liberty program specialist. I think it's probably been about six or seven years. Uh, we so you know in terms of what I do for the committee for religious liberty, we have a a, a small, a quite small um, team here that serves that committee as staff. Uh, we have our director, who's also an attorney and plays the role of of policy advisor. Um, he also has some background in working for the federal government, so so he kind of is monitoring rulemaking and that sort of thing. And that side of, of issues. That's Dan, right? Dan Balser Yeah, that's Dan Balser Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he's our director, but he also kind of has to wear multiple hats because yeah. we're such a small team. Yep. And then yep. our Lauren McCormick is our director of government relations, but she's really the one who's our advocate on on Capitol Hill, yep. keeping up, tracking legislation for us and all that. So then my, my role is primarily to assist with the kind of pastoral and outreach side of of our work. Um, so I'm, that means what that means concretely is I'm working on materials for Religious Freedom Week, Solemnity of Christ the King. We have some other projects uh, that I that I work on, such as our. We have a blog, a podcast, uh, a new thing that we are doing right now is uh, that we're getting out getting off the ground is an essay contest for Catholic, um, for, well, I guess you wouldn't have to go to a Catholic school cause we'll advertise publicly, but we're mostly advertising through Catholic schools for juniors and seniors. Um, and that, so that's kind of exciting and that'll be fun. There will actually be, you know, prizes for the winners and, and all of that. So, um, so I'm helping to organize the essay contest. And, um, anyway, that's, that's sort of my, my, my role, my, I mean, in terms of my background, I, my my background is in theology. You you introduced me as Doctor Weldon, so I, yeah. I do have a, although I don't usually go by Doctor, uh, but my but I do have a PhD in systematic theology and try to bring that perspective. You know, we've got the attorney, the yeah. um, the advocacy legislative expert. So I try to bring some of the theology background to to some of these things.
0: And it remind me, I, maybe you told me last time, but where where did you uh? Earn your PhD. Uh, Catholic University Catholic. of America that's here right. in
1: DC. That, nice. That's why we moved to, to DC in the first place was ah. uh, for me to go to graduate school and, you know, did not think that we would end up staying here, planned to be here for four or five years to get the degree and move on. But then, like I said, I started working as an intern with CCHD and as we started having children and got settled here in DC, just, decided the life of going from place to place to try to find an academic job is just not, (laughs) it's not what we thought we wanted. So, you know, we bought a house and there's a very strong Catholic community um, in, in or communities, I should say, in different pockets of the, the Washington area. And so we kind of live in one of those. Um, In fact, just yesterday we, we walked to a friend's house to celebrate martin moss the, the feast of st martin of yeah. tours and you know it was kind of fun like we walked you know a lot of kids a lot of families with lanterns some people made the lanterns out of turnips <laughs> uh, it was a very <laughs> traditional and then had a bonfire and sang songs and all of that so i don't know there, oh, there's just awesome. a lot of things like that that we do, we just don't want to leave so
0: that's awesome that's really incredible mm-hmm. i you know and i remember asking you last time we visited about just you know where you live and what life is like in community life it's really it's really beautiful. I think I'm familiar with the Catholic community kind of around Hyattsville. Saint yeah, Rome's that's there. where we are. Oh, you mm-hmm. are. Okay. So my, my wife uh, is using their, their curriculum for, she does, oh. she gets together with some other families every day for to, to homeschool. The, the, the rector at the cathedral where we live, they have kind of some entry, empty classrooms. He's, he's kind enough to let them use a the classroom. And so that's their, their, so they're, oh, they're familiar with that, that school project. And, you know, what, mm-hmm. a, what a gift that curriculum and the whole like document has been to them. So hey, mm-hmm. I, I got to jump into, so you've got nine bishops and archbishops on your committee and mm-hmm. I know you're not allowed to play favorites because you're like working for them, right? But I don't work <laughs> yeah. for them. So we can play favorites here in the upper Midwest. I just recognize uh, Bishop Andrew Cousins, um, auxiliary uh-huh. Bishop of St. Paul in Minneapolis uh, has just been reassigned. He's going to be um, installed as Bishop up in Crookston, Minnesota, here in the upper Midwest, I think we, uh, that Bishop Cousins has a special place in a lot of our hearts. And other uh-huh. names, other bishops on the committee, too, that people will recognize. Cardinal Dolan, obviously, uh-huh. play, you know, outsized personality and, uh, yes. and strong leadership in the church in America for, for quite some time. Um, people will recognize the name of Archbishop Nauman, who has got a really strong mm-hmm. uh, pro life sort of profile, if you will. But uh, amazing work of, of the committee. And one of the things that kind of caught my eye is your committee this year. Highlighted. I know in the past we've talked about this fortnight for freedom and mm-hmm. to kind of highlight the work of your committee is this, well, it started out as fortnight for freedom, but then it, it got, I think kind of retooled a little bit rebranded, but we were looking mm-hmm. at this time right between what was it like the 22nd of uh, June, which was the day on which um, it's the feast of Thomas More and Bishop Fisher. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the day that Bishop Fisher was, um, was himself executed. Thomas wasn't executed till a couple weeks later. So that time, right, starting on the 22nd, leading up through the 4th of July is to really highlight this fortnight for freedom to highlight religious freedom. But this year I saw some materials out of your committee kind of highlighting the solemnity of Christ the King, which mm-hmm. is a great opportunity to like talk about this. What is it? Why? So maybe uh, Aaron, could you just tell us a little bit about what is this solemnity of Christ the King? Why should we, you know, care more about it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, first, maybe just some basics about it. Um, you know, the solemnity of Christ, the King, you mentioned it's, it falls November 21st this year, but the it's, it, it is celebrated on the last Sunday in ordinary time. Um, and there's kind of, a, I mean, we can go into the background of it a little bit later if you want, or, I mean, I could say something about it now, no, if please. We, yeah. Yeah. Please. Either way. So, um, you know, the 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 idea in terms of the origins of the Solemnity, um, it was instituted in 1925 uh by Pope Pius XI with his encyclical Quas Primas. Um and what is happening in 1925, why he cause it so that's relatively recent, right? I mean, that's less than a hundred years ago that it was instituted. Um one of the issues that he's trying to, he he's addressing um, with the encyclical and with the institution of this feast days, this kind of um, really militant, aggressive, uh, uh, well, secularism is probably too weak of a word. It's a kind of anti-Catholicism, anti-clericalism that had arisen in places like Mexico and Russia and some parts of Europe. Um, and so there was this real, like he himself, refers to this this problem of of um jesus christ and his law being thrust out of society so not not sort of it was there was a a real like pushing catholicism out of public of any kind of public life and christianity out of public life Um, and so the feast was is is instituted this idea of christ the king um, celebrating christ the king um, is instituted in, in, that, in that particular kind of context. You know, part of the idea there is that regardless of what political regime we find ourselves under, that Christ is always the ruler over all, over, over all of the universe, right? Um, one of the other interesting things about it is that, that we don't often think about. I was actually just rereading Quas Primas, and this, this sort of jumped out to me this time because I've been teaching permanent diaconate candidates, Christology. Um, but as some people might know, the council of Nicaea was in 325. So this was, you know, the 16th centenary of the council of Nicaea, which established that, that, um, that the word, that Jesus Christ is true God and true man, consubstantial, Mm. where we get that consubstantial with the father language. Um, and so, the idea then is that Jesus is the king, not just over political, over governments, but over all things, over all creation, because he's fully man, but he's got he is God, right? And so that, so he has a line, Pius XI does about it being that the that his kingship is based on the hypostatic union, which is sort of a fancy theological term, just saying that like the union of both the divine and human nature in one, in a single person. Um, so that's kind of an interesting little, little tidbit to it. Um, a couple other things though, that about the feast day that can, um, I don't know that, that people might think is kind of interesting in terms of its history is that originally it was celebrated on the last Sunday in October. Hmm. Um, And in fact, for those communities and parishes that, that, um, use the old calendar or do the traditional Latin mass, um, it actually, it still, it still falls on that day, which interestingly enough this year, that was Halloween. Um, because, and, and that's not, but, and that's, and the reason for that is because it always was, it was meant to have a connection with the feast of all saints. Hmm. The idea is that Um, where we really see Christ's reign um, and and it kind of manifested is in the lives of the saints. And Mm -hmm. so, so there was a connection between all saints day and Christ the King. And in fact, I noticed, I think it was this year's the, like the USCCB social media post for all saints day. The depiction was a stained glass window, I think, as I recall, I'm pretty sure it was the USCCB. it showed a picture of a stained glass window with the angels and saints surrounding Jesus. And you realize you see that connection because that very easily could have been used as a Christ, the King image because they're surrounded around Jesus and the throne. Yes. Um, And so, so you'll notice that, that Christ, the King and all saints imagery typically go together. Christ, the King, all saints and the sacred heart are all sort of bound up uh, together Now, after the reforms of Vatican II, the the feast is moved um, to the final Sunday of ordinary time. And I really think, you know, that works really well, too, because it acts as a kind of, it kind of is a capstone or sums up the liturgical year. If you think about the yep. liturgical year, celebrating all these events and salvation history sort of culminates every, all of that kind of culminates in, Christ, the who is the Lord over all, all of history and over, over all things. But it also still, you get a bit of a transition into Advent because you recall those first, those first couple of weeks of Advent are not, they are looking, they're mostly looking kind of like towards the end of time yes and, and they don't use the language of kingship, but they are alluding to this idea of the fulfillment of God's kingdom. So you kind of get this, you're talking about Christ's kingship, then you sort of reset and go back with the advent to looking, looking ahead, looking ahead. And then it, and then it ends up with the sort of fulfillment with Christ, the King at the end. Well, so.
0: well, what you're saying now may resonate. I mean, it's really resonating with me. Other people in the diocese of Sioux Falls, where I happen to live, we've got this really beautiful chapel of the sacred heart at our cathedral. And it's it was commissioned by um, Bishop, uh, Robert Carlson, when he was bishop of Sioux Falls, um, and it's just this beautiful. It's it's a wall wide painting. It's actually a triptych, but it's kind of the the divisions are hidden by these pillars. And it's Christ, the Sacred Heart, um, and he's on a throne. And he, it's really beautiful. It's um, he's clearly a king, and he's surrounded by all these saints. And the saints, mm-hmm. the saints chosen are saints that have a particular devotion to the heart of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really calling to mind what you're saying right now is this link between the saints and Christ kingship. So I'm actually, it's such a compelling um, image. I'm going to drop a link to that image mm-hmm. in the show notes so people can go, go, go take a look at it. But uh, I, I never knew that. Thanks for pointing that out. One of, one of the things that, that I want to talk about a little bit, uh, we need to talk about Aaron is, is the link between this, this solemnity And the work of your committee, you have this Mm -hmm. kind of foundational document, uh, if I can call it that, for the work of your committee. It's called Our First Most Cherished Liberty. Um, Mm -hmm. And and that document, again, I'll put a link to that in the show notes for folks. But this document makes reference to the solemnity of of Christ the King. Can you talk a little bit about that, this link between the kingship of Christ, sovereign Lord of all, and Mm -hmm. religious liberty?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it might help to give a little bit of background even to the committee then to sure. uh, about like what we do. Yes. I mean, you know, so before we had this, our, our standing committee for religious liberty, we had the ad hoc committee for religious liberty, which was primarily um, started in response um, to the HHS contraceptive mandate, where, uh, as many people know, um, was the HHS rule. um, which in the process of implementing the Affordable Care Act, it required employers to cover contraceptives in their health care plans. We've seen, we always get this, uh, um, or we, many of us are aware of the little sisters of the poor, That's kind of what they were, they were fighting um, against. So that was one of the issues, um, or one of the things that was at issues in the creation of the ad hoc committee. Um, But the bishops were also concerned about, you know, different other areas where religious liberty seemed to be being infringed upon. Uh, They could see that marriage redefinition um, or issues related to marriage redefinition was on the horizon. There's also concerns about student groups on campuses um, not being able to determine their own leaders because of what they call all comers policies. And all those, and you can go to our first most cherished Liberty and and see like some, several of those issues, issues related to immigration, um, number of different kinds of issues related to religious Liberty, but to get to basics, like what are we talking about with religious Liberty at all? Um, I think that to sum it up, you know, the, the issue, the thing that we are trying to promote is the space for people to fulfill their obligation to God, um, for all people. Yeah that in our nature, it's in our nature to pursue the truth about questions that we could call religious questions. And then when we grasp that truth, we have a duty or an obligation to respond. And so then when a government tries to force people to act in a way that's contrary to their conscience, um, or when it prevents people from giving God what is his due, then that government's violating this fundamental right that people have to, uh, religious freedom that all people have. Um, and you know, it's not only governments, you could talk a, about other, you know, aspects of civil society and that sort of thing, but, but often our work ends up being focused on these sorts of legal and political types of issues. But so then Christ the King, if the solemnity reminds us that Jesus reigns as the sovereign Lord over all the universe, um, then it, is also becomes a reminder that, that that a state has no right to attempt to to throw religion out of public life um, and so then in that sense no matter what no matter what political regime we find ourselves under that we are always called to serve the lord with our whole hearts um, and to serve him in a not just a private but publicly like with our with our whole lives that's one of the a, a refrain throughout quas Primas is this idea that he reigns over all and so that means in our own lives that there's no aspect of our life that is that does not belong to him and i think that when you're talking about religious freedom issues you're talking about there's a sense in which with these religious freedom issues that that governments are almost asking us to kind of divide up our lives like well your religion is fine in your private life, but when you're in the market or when you do the when, when you serve the public in some way that your religion is supposed to somehow fall away. And the solemnity of Christ the King says, Christ, your, everything belongs to Christ. You can't divide, you, you don't divide it up like that. So.
0: Yeah, and I, that's a major feature of, of the document, Our First Most Cherished Liberty. One of, it's kind of main heading that's bold. Religious liberty is more than freedom of worship. And my recollection is that um, under the Obama administration, there was this sort of rhetorical attempt to try and put religion in a, in a box. And that box was Sunday or, you know, whatever your, your Sabbath happened to be. But I, as I've understood the work of the committee through the years is, is it's, we need to actually resist that and sort of breathe deeply, flap our wings a little bit and, um, and get out into every other day of the week with our faith too. Is that fair? Exactly. Yeah. There, there seemed to be this trend. I don't see it as
1: much anymore. Um, But because nobody's going nobody no american is going to say that religious liberty is bad right it's just too much a part of our dna as a country yeah like any almost all polling data that i'm aware of or anytime you see this these things come up if you are just asked are you in favor of religious liberty everybody's going to say yes I, i think religious liberty is good but then yes there seemed to be this trend for a while of referring not using the term religious liberty, but using the term freedom of worship. Yes, I suspect that that polled well with with certain groups, and that's why that became a thing that people were using it for a while. Maybe it's not polling as well. Why like, I don't seem like I hear it quite as much. Yep. Um, but yeah, that but then that does seem to imply like, well, you know, that 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 all that matters is what you do and your liturgical life or wh- whether you're talking about Catholic or any other group that that sort of like, well, within the walls of your church or place of worship, you're sort of free to do what you want, but then your religion doesn't make its way out in any way. And so, yes, that's definitely, you know, you think about the Catholic church has so is involved in, in education and healthcare in humanitarian service i mean we're involved in so much yeah um they're, they're in so many kinds of ministries uh, maybe more than any other religious group in the u.s um that the idea that we could just be constricted or that we could restrict our what is religion to church just doesn't I mean, it doesn't make any sense, I think, to, it, to the Catholic mind.
0: Well, and there's this quote, too, in, in the document, um, making reference to Thomas Jefferson, who had written a letter to the Ursuline sisters. They'd been running these humanitarian services, hospitals, orphanages, schools in Louisiana. They started doing this in 1727. And he, sa- he told them that the principles of the Constitution were a sure guarantee, quote unquote, that their ministry would be free, quote, to govern itself, according to its own voluntary rules without interference from the civil authority, end quote. So there's like this really, this stark example, as you say, that this is kind of bound up in our American DNA uh, from our our very earliest days. You know, um, Aaron, we've got, uh, let's see, about three minutes left here. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, we've kind of similarities between the context this this, um, Quas Primus adopted, you know, coming up on a hundred years ago, Mm -hmm. similarities between that context and our post-Christian society today, there was like this real militant secularism, which maybe is not even a sufficient word, but what Mm -hmm. is, what is, uh, what you've mentioned to me kind of offline, one thing that's really front of mind for your, for your committee work right now. Can you share a little bit about that, that concern?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that, you know, in terms of similarities and differences, I mean, You know, I think that where there are some similarities is this sense that um, the the, uh, increasing lack of respect for religion, that religious reasoning is often taken to be irrational. Yeah, uh, um, that you see skepticism about having respect for religion um, at all, Um, you know. And on the other hand, I mean, I kind of go back and forth on this, like because on the other hand, sometimes it seems to me that the clashes that we have in American life have more to do with particular issues rather than religion as such. If yeah. that makes sense, like those communist regimes wanted to—they were militantly atheistic. They wanted yeah. religion as religion out. Yeah. Today's disagreements—it's—it's it's usually just like kind of a disagreement over over where religion clashes with contemporary Moors, But as I mentioned to you earlier, you know, we have been, we've seen an increase in attacks on Catholic churches and statues in recent years. Um, I think we've been keeping track of that since, since, since 2020, yeah. different attacks. And I think we're up to 111 attacks. And that's just what we've recorded. I've had some people contact me offline and, and say that they've had these vandalism issues too. Yeah. Um, it's just that they it didn't get picked up by the by the local news sure so there's certainly more than just 111 it does kind of make you wonder like as our country becomes more secular um, you combine that with some intense intensifying political polarization that maybe it isn't just going to be debates about particular issues like marriage redefinition but that they're there may actually be overt hostility towards Christianity starting to build up.
0: Well, all the more uh, reason to just really dedicate ourselves to Christ the King on this upcoming feast. Dr. Aaron Weldon, just so grateful for you joining the show with us today. Oh, yes. Thank you so much. And thank you as always, dear listeners. I hope you are prepared for the great feast of Christ the King coming up on Sunday, uh, November 21st. Until next time, live well.